Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Just Crack an Egg. You want to talk about great production value? How about a legit, hot, fluffy breakfast scramble that's packed with all your favorite ingredients? It's called Just Crack an Egg, and all you have to do is add a fresh egg over their hearty ingredients, then stir microwave and enjoy any day of the week. It takes less than two minutes to make. Find all seven varieties of Just Crack an Egg in the egg aisle. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Acorn TV. Acorn TV is your home for streaming British crime dramas and mysteries. It is the only place you can catch up and stream the newest season of the UK hit series Line of Duty, a cat and mouse thriller from the creator of Bodyguard that takes a probing look into police corruption. The show rules. Watch the first episode of season one for free at acorn.tv slash watch and start a free 30-day trial of Acorn TV with the code watch. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am the editor of TheRinger.com. And joining me in the studio today, I talked about Game of Thrones on Sunday for like an hour and a half. And then I talked about Game of Thrones on Monday for like an hour and change. And today on Thursday, I talked about it on Talk to Thrones, the final episode for another hour. But I can't stop. And that's because Jason Manzukis is here. The here we go. Final word on Westeros belongs yeah! to you, sir. What's up, man? Let's break this down. Um, I haven't to be here. talked. I saw you briefly while I think the season was on, but I have yes, not talked to you. Yes, at a restaurant in Los Angeles yeah. that will not be named. I know. Uh, it was McDonald's on Sunset. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, in the in the playland, <laughs> yeah, in exactly. the ball pit, taking a dump. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to know, like, you are not. On Twitter as a as a person, I am not. I don't know I, if you. If I'm you, not on anything. If you like to log into the generic Twitter, I will. I will. I will look on Twitter if like something I've done has like come out, and I want to see like what responses so, like, are. Crimes you know? at Playland. You know, like yeah. so. I exactly. <laughs> so I like in that in that way. Yes, but no, I'm not a social media person. Okay. So I'm not. I don't know the memes. I don't know the what the chatter is online about all this. I'll I'll track like Vanity Fair articles or Vulture or stuff like okay. that but uh, social media response to game of thrones is unknown so you're to me. like you're like the, the first baby ever born you have yes. no idea what not necessarily no idea the what difference people think. The, the difference between me and like my father right now is negligible okay that's that's great we both have watched the show and that's about it one of the things i think is so interesting about what happened this season what we're going to do today we have a bunch of mailbag questions that we'll go through jason's i shouldn't say that me. my dad's like 100 percent on linkedin <laughs> he loves that <laughs> linkedin your life. dad is like he's waiting for your response <laughs> he's, he's asked you to be friends on linkedin um jason's gonna help me with a bunch of mailbag questions about thrones and non-Thrones topics. Uh, Great. Thrilled. And then uh, Greenwell will be back next Thursday. We don't do a show on Monday because it's uh, Memorial Day. Oh, yeah. And we get to chill. But what did you think of the season? Boy, this season was a roller coaster yeah. for me. This season really was... I had, you know... I, it would be impossible, I feel like. And you guys have covered so much of this, both on this show, on Talk the Thrones uh, with Mal and Jason, and there on, on Binge Mode. Yeah. I mean, like, this is yeah. all such a such well-trod uh, territory at this point. But I will say, like, there, I cannot overstate 
how excited I was going into this season, mm-hmm. how excited I was to be anticipating the end of something that has been such a wonderful shared yeah. journey. Yeah. You know, like the idea that I've come on here and talked about it. I went on binge mode and talked about it. The idea that most of my dinners lately have been talking yeah. about the show. That's so rare. That's so rare and so... Um, such a part of what to me felt like mass consumption mm-hmm. television of the past where everybody shared and talked about those shows talked about the finale of NYPD Blue yeah. or the end of whatever those shows that were meaningful and this the finale for, of Becker yeah Remember man that? oh Arliss the end of Arliss <laughs> that was the first HBO show that I was like I can't believe Arliss is going out like this yeah. <laughs> what Arliss <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I felt like, like, so that all that to say, like, I can't overstate how excited I was to get these episodes and how a little bit wary I was. Cause I felt like, I think like a lot of us, like, Ooh, this is not a lot of episodes. Yeah, this yeah. is not, even though some of them are long, it's still not that much cumulative time to land all of these storylines, all of these characters. And I think in some in some ways they did a good job and in some ways they didn't like it was it was a season of highs and lows for me like yeah. they, there cannot be like f- for me like one of the top 5 all-time Game of Thrones moments is the knighting of Brienne. Yes. Like, of all time. Yeah. Like, it's an exceptional moment in the show. Yeah. And then there are moments in the show, like, how on earth is Braun master of coin and <laughs> and has Highgarden? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Choices could could seem Braun to even be, get a credit card? It, yeah. yeah. Honestly, like, it seems like so... Um, some things seem like absolutely beautifully plotted out and executed so wonderfully, and some felt kind of slapdash and kind of uh, a little bit fan servicey or a little bit like you guys have talked about a lot. I think like the greatest villain of these this season and perhaps the last season feeling not as compelling as previous seasons is just time mm-hmm. is just how condensed they were how much things had to happen sometimes in like the idea that that uh, Brienne and Jamie uh, have their finally have their they get to bang it out moment yeah uh, and then it's only within the context of one full episode that they get involved and then he rides away at the yeah. end it's so little time was given to so many characters that we spent so much time and I with. think that that's actually one that I, for all the pods that we've done over the last couple of weeks and since that moment when Jamie leaves Brienne Conception has brought this up a bunch of times where he's like, we just, well, how come Cersei doesn't get more pregnant? If if it takes months to get from Winterfell to King's Landing, she just never seems more pregnant. Great. But even with Cersei and Jamie, it's like, was he there for three weeks? Yeah. And they're and they're hanging you mean out. Brienne and Jamie? Brienne and Jamie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he hanging out there for three weeks and yeah. they're together every night and he's just like, I don't know about this life? Or was it literally two nights, one night where they're another night with her, and then the next that's what that it night felt he decides like. to leave. That's what it felt like. And that's the thing is, like, that's such a good point. Like, show Cersei getting more pregnant to show that time is elapsing yeah. Yeah. because they are just jumping from place to place to place to place, main character to main character to main character. We no longer get these kind of, um, we no longer get diverted into other little storylines or other little moments 
that are illustrative of um, character, more character development or yeah. whatever. I also felt like, you know, and I and I did. I really, there was so much that I enjoyed about it. There was, I loved, and I loved the watching of it. And mm-hmm. I loved how emotionally relevant uh, or emotionally excited it got me. It really, I was engaged in this season. I was engaged yeah. in it. Positively, negatively, everything, and I'm, I'm like, it's still talking about it, still talking about it, and I love that we're talking about it. I'm, I'm happy that so many things did happen, but uh, they didn't feel right. Some right. of them didn't feel right. Some did, and it just was. It felt. Rocky. Yeah, I mean, today we were talking about our favorite episodes, and Jason and Mal both said "Wins a Winner," and that made a lot of sense because of what you find out about John and Wins of Winner, but also the sweep of it. But I actually said that mine was "Kissed by Fire," which is this like the fifth episode from the third season, and it's the one where Jamie tells Brienne oh. his side of the Kingslayer story. Sure, sure, the bath yeah. in the bath, right? But there's also I counted it up. There's 25 characters in that episode. Yeah. It takes place in five different places. You have all this history being told about, like, the Iron Islands and when they tried to rebel and what, you know, Barristan's telling stories to Jorah and there's all this stuff with Rob and Talisa and the Karstarks. And it was just, like, this incredibly rich tapestry of a show. And I realized that the way that they told season eight, Cersei's not in two episodes. Yeah. They don't even show what happens at King's Landing. And, like, they changed not only, like, it wasn't just even the compression of time as much as, like, the actual storytelling mechanisms that they yes. used, you know? So, like, even in those instances, like, there was a couple of, like, of the very few episodes in season eight, a couple of them felt like there was even wasted time. I know. Like, we didn't, like, I wish we had dug in deeper. You know, I wish we had dug in, like, if you're going to, because they they do, like, you're right. Like, in those earlier seasons, part of what's exciting about the show and part of what makes and what made us all obsessed with it was talking about the scope of mm-hmm. it, trying to be like the number of times I had conversations with with people that were that started out being about, I don't know anybody's names. I can't remember who's, yeah, yeah, whose yeah. name is what and how many, you know, like now we all watch it with closed captioning now, my whole friend group, just yeah. so that we can clarify places and names and things that we wouldn't know because we're not book readers. We don't recognize Did you them. watch uh, The Long Night with closed captioning on? Yeah. The, the battle one? I did. All the closed captioning was like, oh my God, yeah, It's no! crazy. I did not have any of the problems with The Long Night that people had. I thought The Long Night was amazing. I thought it was exciting television. I was like on my feet, nervous to sit down. I felt like it did the best job of making me feel the overwhelming onslaught of the dead. Like the idea that like the dead was going to win, but for one Hail Mary move, they might be able to pull off. Otherwise, this ocean of dead is just going to wash over this castle. Yeah, the Dothraki riding out and the fireflies and then all those lights getting extinguished. I just think that's going to be one of the indelible images. And that's the stuff, that too was like the last time I felt like certain things like uh, Melisandre coming back and lighting the fires, all that stuff. There was a lot of stuff there that felt like paying off things that had come before. You know, yeah. like it felt like, okay, now we're going to settle this. now. And certain of those things that you've been keeping track of, I really liked. Yeah. I was surprised, genuinely surprised, but that by the end of season eight, as many of our main quote-unquote characters are still alive. Yeah, I think it felt a little bit more TV. It felt more uh, yeah. like eight. Not only did they have plot armor because you just really wanted them to be there at the end, but that they were all in the same place. 
You know, because like ever since the Ice Lake battle, yeah. very bad plan, whatever oh you want God. to call it. Ridiculous. They've basically tied all these people together. Yeah. And they all moved as like a unit. And even when they split up like John and Danny, or like John was going to ride down south, but Danny was going to fly. And that's yes. why she loses one of her dragons. Like they don't spend that much screen time apart. No. They're basically reunited at, right after that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an interesting, a couple of interesting storytelling choices. I was surprised. Like, I feel like going into that battle, all of the conversation was, well, say goodbye to Grey Worm, say goodbye to Brienne yeah. and maybe Jamie. Yeah. Say goodbye to Tormund and or Davos. Like, say goodbye to Beric. Say goodbye to everybody. Davos is like, I can't fight and live through three lived of the most brutal battles. Everything. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, Davos, like, for me, one of my top guys. Yeah. Like, like, like I love uh, Davos. Yeah. Every, even in the final episode where, like, I think he has one line and he's like, I'm not even sure if I'm, like, qualified to Am be I allowed here. to vote? Yeah, yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah. He's killing it. But like arguably should have died. So many of these people I think should have died. Yeah. Um, and because the show has trained you to expect it, the narrative around all of them, at least my friends and I's conversations around it was who's going to die? Who's going to die? And then when very few people died, Beric dies, who was great. Sure. And once Thoros of Mir is dead, Beric, you, his like his days are numbered at this point. Right. And once Melisandre's like, I've I've sort of like lived yeah. out my my part, she walks off and dies. Yeah. Which I thought was great. Like I liked that death. That death felt like she came back, played the last part she was supposed to play, and then died. Yeah. You know that I I loved that. It seemed like, I, I guess it felt like, uh, oh, I guess people aren't as vulnerable as in seasons past they have felt like, oh, anybody can get got, you yeah. know? And now, not really. Everybody seems kind of safe, you know? We'll get into some of our mailbag questions here because Josh Nason has a really interesting cue here, which is— Don't do you, you mean Nosh Jason? Nailed <laughs> it. Um, do you think that the Game of Thrones finale will play better for those binging the show for the first time? And does streaming binging now play a factor into how creative teams think about finales? I certainly think that streaming binging plays a factor into the way certain shows are made. You know, I sure. think the idea that if you're making a show probably for Netflix and you know there's a possibility someone's going to watch this in one night or two nights, yep. you're kind of thinking like episode three doesn't need to stand, stand out as much as it needs to make someone watch episode four. We got to keep them hooked. But I did go back to seven before eight this season. And I was like, you know what? Seven's pretty good. A lot of yeah. cool stuff happened in seven. Yeah. And I wasn't mad at seven. And I was I didn't have any of the stuff that I think we're sort of talking about, which is the amount of anticipation that would yes. happen on Sundays where it's like, holy shit, I can't even eat yet, man. Cause I gotta yeah. I gotta watch Thrones and then I gotta like do 90 push-ups and think and about and how much, and I'm sure you are way you're getting it way more than I am, but like how many once you have watched the episode and look at your phone, how many texts do you have from people that are like, thoughts? Like, dude, and then like, or just specific lines or characters. Like, I like I feel like, to answer the mailbag question, I think the experience of binge watchers will be just radically different mm -hmm. on Thrones because I think this was a show that like um, Lost before it or some other shows, it has truly thrived because people had time in between episodes to talk about it, Absolutely. conjecture Absolutely. about it, theorize, read nonsense theories. There was, you had the juxtaposition of people in the book knowledge, people having book knowledge and not, and yeah. whether or not to share or not, and all that stuff. All of that made this viewing experience I think pretty unique. Yeah. Like, and I don't think, I don't think that'll happen when 
His Dark Materials airs, yeah. which is based on a beloved series of books. I don't think that will similarly be beset by, you know, uh, fan theories and, you know, you know, like all this kind of stuff on like how much this show lived on the Reddit threads and the the vulture columns and all this kind of recap culture. It felt like it was a living document. All the stuff you guys have on The Ringer. Yeah. Like just this season alone, you guys have like at least five, if not more, dedicated Game of Thrones like uh Shows yeah. or whatever. Yeah, Never yeah. mind all of the written stuff. It's wild. Yeah. And that, I don't know how, I don't think anybody binging it is going to participate in that way. Uh, and I don't think anybody binging it is going, I don't think binging allows for this kind of, a friend of mine just was showing his son the Star Wars movies. Oh, yeah. And he was trying to wait as long between movies as possible. To show him what it was like to, to wait to show him what it was like to years. anticipate yeah. it. Yeah. And also to be like, because in that time, he and I can talk about it. Mm-hmm. He and I are actively talking right now about what has happened in Empire because I have not yet showed him sure. Ret- uh, Return of the Jedi. And he's living in a world where Empire hasn't happened yet, yeah. which is pretty crazy. It's pretty great. And like that to me is part of what's great about this show. What was great about this show was so many of the conversations being had, so many of the, how how engaged people were with the theories and the, the surprising plot developments, the surprising character beats, yeah. all that stuff was allowed to sink in and really ruminate. People are allowed to ruminate it both between both between episodes, the week between episodes, and then the year to two years between seasons. Yeah. I mean, and then like I, I was talking a little bit just a few minutes ago about this episode with Kiss by Fire in I was going back to watch it. And that's obviously the season with Reigns of Castamere, the Red Wedding. And if you're binging that for the first time, the com- the compression between this episode, episode five, and episode nine, which is Castamere, is it, it could be as little as four hours. Yeah. You could just blow right through it. But by that same token, going back and watching it, knowing what you know now, and this is what Binge Mode sort of articulated so well, is like all of Rob's decisions are that much more tragic knowing what's going to happen. Sure. So just him being like headstrong about this is who I want to marry, this is who I love, this is who I want to be with, and this is who I'm going to betray to try and make a run on Casterly Rock, which is, like, inevitably what leads to, like, the phrase and everything else that happens. It's it's It can be read in so many different ways, and that's another thing that I don't know that that many shows have is the ability to kind of revisit them or look at them in different from different perspectives. Sure. Well, and also I think, like, for people watching the series— you know, uh, there are two different—up com- until, I guess, season—the end of season six, there are two completely different ways of watching it. Yeah. If you've read the books or if you've not read the books. Yeah. You know, like, for—you know, uh, for me, the when the Red—when Ned Stark is killed in at the end of season one, I was— Shocked out of my mind when the red wedding happened, I, my mind was blown. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. uh, so many beats were so, and 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 part of and that's what was so such a draw into like the immersive experience of this show in this world. Such good fantasy storytelling for I think book readers, even though they knew all this stuff was coming, I still think they seemed to me to be just as into the show, just as immersed in this world that uh, they seemed to be enjoying. It they didn't seem to it didn't seem to be like failing them. No, not at I all. I think until we run out of books. Yeah, you know? and I think that once they decided to maybe stop, they left out a couple of major plot 
points yeah. of the books, whether it was like Yo Lady Griff Stoneheart. Or Lady Stoneheart and stuff like yeah. that. People started to get a little bit disillusioned with it. Um, Bread McStuffin, great name here. He asks, keeping the time constraints roughly the same, what underbaked storyline from the series would you swap out and what would you replace it with to make it a more satisfying whole? That's a really tough one. I guess my first one is, even though I love the character, I think Braun is an example of somebody who was like there for... Because people really liked Brian. That's it. He was he, He's in that show because he's like a fan favorite. Yeah, and that you can see they kind of like get him out of King's Landing for no real reason. They're well, like, he can't stay in King's Landing because he and Cersei are the only people left in King's Landing yes. and those two actors can't be in the same room That's together because right, right. they used to be a couple. Right. And now I guess they have some sort of view. Yeah, Kyburn has to be the intermediary. <laughs> and then he goes all the way up to Winterfell. I love that Kyburn got <laughs> shoved to death. I know. <laughs> dude, dude goes out <laughs> simply by getting shoved to the ground. A man of science. Like, <laughs> It was, I loved, it was such an afterthought. Yeah. He like, he saves the mountain like from actual death yeah. and creates like the zombie. And the mountain is just like, get out of my way. And just like shoves him to the him ground. Into a wall. And Kyburn yeah. essentially explodes. Yes. It's so funny. Did you, the Clegane Bowl, did you like that? I thought it was fine. Yeah. There's a couple of things. Like, Clegane Bowl is a great thing to talk about. It's a great kind of, like, fan uh, fan service-y kind of thing. I did end up feeling like um, the Hound is maybe one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. in the show. Yeah. And his, his story takes a turn where I almost feel like he didn't need to go and do this. No. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't feel necessary. Yeah. Uh, in a certain way, it didn't. I wasn't like if he doesn't have a final battle with his brother, this is you're blowing it. It was happening because he was like, it has to happen. Right. He kept saying over and over again, "We know how this ends, brother." Yeah, but it and and I guess and I understand that like you know he's also there to illustrate a point for Arya so that she can walk away from that path yeah. of just continuing towards revenge. But you know, I felt like in a certain way he had been. Um, not redeemed, because I'm not sure that's what the Hound needed was redemption, but that he had found a different path, not so much uh, of a person alone in the world anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was the, the, um, the fight itself was amazing. Yeah. I thought the physicality of it was crazy. Um, to see the Hound, who's an enormous guy, just get like smacked around and by almost the get his melon popped. Yeah. The if you watch the behind the scenes, the making of that <laughs> uh-huh. um, fight is is crazy. Yeah. It's really it's pretty nuts. As a, from just a practical doing a stunt on steps with someone who is as strong but not a stuntman as the the mountain is, it's really interesting to watch them actually block and figure out how to do this yeah. without hurting Rory, um, whose last name I'm forgetting, the, uh, who plays the Hound. Oh, yeah, I forget his last name as well. Um, Again, that's a good example of I enjoyed it from the point of, from the vantage point of I'm enjoying the show, but it didn't um when it was done I wasn't like yes, Finally. you know, I wasn't like the the way that when Arya killed the Night King, even though 
I don't know <laughs> how she got. I there. don't know how she got there. I don't. Well, you know what? It's interesting. We know how she got there because remember in the episode prior, she sneaks up on John at the Weirwood Tree, oh, and yeah. he goes, "How'd you sneak up oh, on yeah. me?" That's them laying the groundwork for how she can silently get up to the Weirwood Tree without anybody noticing, right? right? But I felt like. That was a victory, uh, even though the Night King was turned out to be, for me, a villain that was not nearly as compelling, uh, simply because we didn't really, as you guys have talked about many times, we didn't really understand his motivation yeah. until just previous, and then it was over, you know? Yeah, or whether or not it's like a cyclical kind of evil that gets recycled in the North over and over again, or whether there was some sort of original sin that yeah. really, like, I mean, because the children of the forest sort of origin story with him was really interesting that they never really revisited. And that is stuff that I wish they had explored or Mm -hmm. they had allowed someone else to explore. You know, like that's the thing where, you know. um, So Andy had like a slightly different response than that. Yeah. Where he was like, it's good or it's bad, but it's Benioff and Weiss's. And they. I get that from a creator standpoint. I get that entirely, you know, and I know, I get why they didn't hand it off. Sure. You know what I mean? I wish they had simply because from where I sit, I would, and as a lot of people do, as I'm sure HBO would feel, I wish I had more episodes. Yeah. Both from a story point of view and also because, I mean, I love this world. I'm enjoying this show. I'm enjoying these characters. But I agree with Andy in the sense that, like, I understand it's, it is very atypical for people that are that involved in creating something that is so beloved and yeah i don't know at this point is there any bigger show in tv history no i mean you'd have to go back to like sorkin handing off west wing well, or, sorkin or, but i don't did even know not if he hand off west off. wing yeah, right. you know nor yeah. did amy sherman palladino hand off gilmore girls right. like these are shows that were taken away from their creators right. right so like that's a different situation altogether so for me i'm i i guess i i almost wish they had and it's not like ER where it's like we have this soundstage right. and we can just like cycle Recycle you guys through. Recycle people in and out. It's yep. like you've got to be in Belfast working nights for like yep. six months. Yeah, building like, you know, uh, Dubrovnik <laughs> yeah. streets in yeah. a g- parking lot in <laughs> Ireland or whatever they did. It's interesting. I, you know, it is. It's like, it's easy to sit here uh, on a podcast and be like, there should have been more episodes. We should have had more time. And all of that, I think, is true for us as fans. But there is also an element of they have successfully left us wanting more. Mm -hmm. You know, they have have done a good job. They have not worn out their welcome. We're not all being, you know what I'm not doing right now? Being like, you know what? I didn't watch the last two episodes until like yesterday. That would have been can you I, imagine? It's so hard to imagine a world like that. You know, but it's that a, happens to me all the time with shows that course. I love. Yeah, I just suddenly they're piling up on my DVR, God, and I'm like, "Fuck, sons I of gotta, anarchies!" Yeah, I got to get through all these episodes of Mayans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> before you got to finish Anarchy before you go to Mayans, <laughs> you got to complete the cycle. Uh, um, ben Gritz wants to know which performance on Game of Thrones was the most satisfying from start to finish. This is an interesting way of great, thinking about it. Great, great question. Huh. I mean, I will say for me, I think for me, oh boy, that's really interesting. Which performance? I I don't, I'm not saying definitively because one might occur to me differently, but I think Jamie Lannister, I think what, uh, what he does, uh, with, uh, what's his name? 
Nikolai. Uh, Nikolai Kosterwaldo. Yeah. What he does with Jamie Lannister from the beginning, this kind of handsome, charming, evil mm-hmm. uh, force, like this this malicious Prince Charming kind of character, this, you know, this kind of knight, famous knight, but who has— Golden-haired prick kind of, yeah. Exactly, yeah, whose yeah. first, you know, major element is to push Bran out a window while he's sleeping with his twin sister. You're like, for his arc to end up where it ends up uh, is— a he has to thread a needle that is particularly difficult, yeah, yeah. you know, to sell us both, to sell us at each stage of Jamie Lannister's redemption is, I think, pretty fantastic uh, on this show. I think, unquestionably, uh, Peter Dinklage is just doing top to bottom tremendous work. Yeah. I just think sometimes they didn't give him enough to do. In terms of just... What you see on screen, I think Maisie Williams probably like was the Unreal. most impressive. Only just because, like, when you go back, you're like, you are a child. She was a kid, like, what, yeah. she was like 11 years old, or and something? that just doesn't really happen. Where somebody is like, you take someone who's an 11 year old actor, and they're still really good at 19 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And her characters transformate, and she nails. She's not the same. She's not playing no the way. same uh, aria. At twenty, that she played at eleven or twelve. Yeah, and she's this not the same person in Bravos that she is character. in Winterfell. Yeah, yeah for sure. So she's I, truly evolved, and that I thought was she does. You're right. She that's an amazing performance. She's also an interesting person because, with the exception of the Hound, she is one of the only characters in the series that is oftentimes alone. Yeah, she is oftentimes on her own, alone in the world, without a you know a lot of other people's storylines act as two-handers, mm-hmm. you know, for, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. And she does not have that. Mm-hmm. You know, she does. She has the hound for those first early seasons, but then a lot of it is her on her own, and mm-hmm. that's very difficult, yeah. you know, to chart and build a character season after season that is changing and evolving with nothing but other pe- always other people to bounce it off of. And you go, she goes from basically this tomboy hanging out at Winterfell to being Jason Bourne, mm-hmm. eventually. So that's, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Um, Christopher John wants to know, would you be more excited about a Lost sequel, a reboot, or a Game of Thrones sequel? And I guess we can get into also just like a more general conversation about like, are you just open for business on any Game of Thrones story they want to tell? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm open to see I'm open to watching. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I I certainly don't feel fatigued with this world. Mm-hmm. Now, if they were to dive right in and tell me, if they were to say, guess what? The next series, it starts next fall or whatever, a year from now, and it's Aria has gotten to the end of the world. Sure. I'd be like, oh, I don't know that I want that. Yeah. Uh, the idea that they're making a show that is, whatever, 500 years in the past? or 5,000. 5,000 years? Yeah, okay. yeah. So I'm curious. Yeah. Like, again, I did not know these books. I did not know this series. I'm not... Previously to this, I'm not a fantasy person. I don't. I love. I love Harry Potter and stuff like that. But I never was a Lord of the Rings person. I never. I didn't get into deep fantasy stuff mm-hmm. like this. So to to find Game of Thrones and really love it, I'm I'm open to that happening again. If someone does a good job of building another, it's world building. Right. You know, building another narrative that I find compelling with compelling characters. Is there one? Is there like a franchise or a thing out there where you're just like? Anything that has this under this banner, I'm in. Aside from, I will aside check from out, Yellowstone. I will <laughs> Yellowstone. Oh my god! I'm, yeah, the sh- the collective Yellowstone universe, <laughs> the shared. <laughs> I would love that. Just in different national parks. Yep. Yeah. A, yeah. Yep. Um, 
I'm trying, I will give any Star Wars a chance just because I'm 46 and saw, you know, A New Hope in the theaters. Yeah. I lined up and, you know, I loved it. Did you, you know? watch, like, the leaked Mandalorian footage? I didn't. Well, that's the only thing. Star Wars is the only thing I will try and not watch yeah. footage of ahead of time. Yeah. I, I have some. I, it is just the nostalgia of my youth. Um, I will watch trailers and spoilers and behind the scenes. And I'll listen to podcasts about anything else I like. Right. Right. But, but Star, Star Wars, Wars, Wars is like just you. I still, even though it has burned me so <laughs> many, it has burned me so many more times yeah. than any of these other properties. Yeah. Uh, and worse than any of these other properties, I still get. Give it every chance. You just hear that theme music and you're like. It, and, yeah. and I well up and it's like instant, like it's a button for nostalgia. Yeah. So Star Wars I'll do, uh, you know, I'm curious about Game of Thrones, whatever they decide to do. I know they're doing multiple things. Um, Lost, I have no real allegiance. I watched all of Lost and really, for the most part, enjoyed it, question mark. Um, if they were to reboot Lost somehow, I have no—here's what I don't want. I have no interest in those same characters at all. Yes. Right? I, that that story's Jack, done. Jack, Kate, Sawyer, all that, yeah. But if you want to do another— Dharma Initiative, mm -hmm. Mystery Island, blah, blah. If you want to settle some of the and figure out some of the stuff that we did, uh, that Lost did bring up and never kind of fix, I'm into that Told if they do it well. Perspective of the polar bear. Yeah. It's, it's just, like, just it's, it's, it is a, it is a, a planet Earth style uh, a nature documentary yeah. about the smoke, about the smoke monster and the yeah. polar bear. The smoke monster and Melisandre's smoke. <laughs> Spinoff. By the way, smoke and smoke. That's pretty great. There you go. It's I like that. The new Whiskey Cavalier. Yeah. Uh, they're, coming, they're trying to get it back, guys. <laughs> trying to get it back. Whiskey Cavalier. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we'll come All back and right, keep talking to fine. Jason. Sponsors, sell some pants. <laughs> Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Heinz Mayonnaise. Heinz Mayonnaise transforms ordinary foods into an unforgettably creamy experience. You may forget your coworkers' names, your mom's birthday, or what happened three seasons ago on that show everyone's talking about. But you will never forget a delicious potato salad made with creamy Heinz mayonnaise. Foods made with Heinz mayonnaise won't just be the unforgettably creamy highlight of your week. They may well be the highlight of your 30s. Slather it onto a mouth-watering turkey club, incorporate it into your tuna salad, mix it into a luscious garlic aioli, layer it on a thick cheddar cheeseburger, or spread it on a BLT because of the unforgettable creaminess. Hours later, you'll be telling everyone with an earshot just how good it was. For me, I love getting the Heinz creamy mayonnaise on a turkey sandwich. It's my favorite lunch. I, and if I'm feeling a little frisky, maybe a little creamy Heinz mayo with my fries. How about that? Leave the boring old blah mayonnaise on the shelf where it belongs and try something new. Try unforgettably creamy Heinz mayonnaise and the new Heinz mashups, mayo chup, mayo q, mayo must, and crunch. All right, Jason, we're back, and this yes. is a good bridge from out of Game of Thrones into more Great. general TV talk, and it comes from Ryan Christopher Dunham. Do you think RCD? The culmination of MCU, Game of Thrones, and to some extent Star Wars, the end of this saga later this year, that there's any chance for a public hangover with regards to fantasy slash genre storytelling. The pipeline obviously doesn't suggest it, but there could there be a resurgence in more realistic modes 
such as, well, he, he brings up Westerns, war films, and crime dramas. I guess you could also be like, are we ever going to get like back to ordinary people? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, Pacific yeah. Heights, you know? <laughs> sure. Oh yeah. Will we ever see like a, thr- like a, just a thrillers take yeah. off again? Um, no, I think right now, yes. I think the answer is yes, we will. We're in all of this stuff. There's an ebb and flow to all of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so right now we are in, I think right now what's happening is, especially in features, uh, spectacle is what brings people to the theater, Mm -hmm. right? So because there is such a wealth of choice on your home TV, because your home TV is now 70 inches wide instead of 24 or 19 when I was growing up, because you've got this big screen in your house and because a, a lot of stuff looks good on that screen, it takes something pretty spectacular to get you to go to the movie theater. And so movies are now the, I think you're seeing, that's why we're seeing so much of these successes are the Marvel movies, the kind of big spectacle uh, action movies. And it's the same thing that your friend's talking about with his kid, where it's like, there's this wait period in between Endgame and now that Marvel's done this part of it. Now we're just like, well, what happens next? Is it going uh, yeah. to be Fantastic Four? Exactly. And how are they going to yeah. integrate the X-Men, the Fantastic yeah. Four into blah, 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 into the MCU as it exists currently and how to blah, blah, blah. All that stuff, all that conjecture, all that all that kind of the din of uh, fan participation I think is what's keeping all this stuff alive yeah. for the most part is because it gives everybody something to talk about, right? But you know what people really aren't talking about? A lot of the Marvel TV shows. Yeah. You know, those don't have the same narrative built around them. Those don't have the same kind of investment in them because they're, they don't have, they don't share this massive spectacle. They are street level shows. You know, everybody's watching Mayans. Yeah. Gotta watch those Mayans. (laughs) What are they up to the Mayans? I think that it's like an interesting question from Ryan because, you know, I think that there's like a, it would probably be wrong to assume that any day now people are going to raise their heads and be like, you know what, man, I just I just feel like I haven't gotten a really solid adult family drama recently. Yeah. I, I think that we've passed that point. And uh, I'm, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. And if anything, I'm kind of even a little bit worried about my brain getting rewired too hard, like where when I watch Burning, yeah. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> it just really takes me a minute to like adjust yeah. to the rhythms of oh, a yeah. non-Thanos piece of of drama. Oh yeah, and when you're watching stuff that you're like, oh, all the the um like allowing yourself to fade into something that is just all uh, uh location based, yeah. <laughs> uh no CGI, no green screen, nothing uh nothing being done in post, like just truly watching actors act in an environment with yeah. each other. There's something that is quite compelling about that that you can that is tactile, that you can feel. The same way that there is something artificial about they like um Amelia Clark's performance in the penultimate episode where she's deciding to, you know, burn King's Landing to the ground is truly, I think, a masterpiece of acting because she's 
She's running through so many emotions and she's allowing them to flicker across her face. But when you watch the behind the scenes of that show, she's sitting on like a bucking Bronco, like a motorized thing covered in green mm-hmm. felt in a green screen room. There's She's looking at nothing. She's looking at no one. And they got like what, like a second a day or two, yeah. 10 seconds a day when they were recording. It is know? such a, um, it's so impressive to me, but, but there's something I, you know, like I'm a big, I grew up loving indie films sure. and like all the Sundance fair of, of that era. And still now, I think there's still room for a lot of great, you know, small dramas, mm-hmm. all what you're talking about, procedural thrillers. They're just, they're being made on a smaller scale and oftentimes on TV. Yeah. You know, uh, I think you like the, the thriller I think what the the itch that used to get scratched by those thrillers is now getting scratched for everyone by true crime podcasts. That's true. I mean, or or like something where they you find it on Netflix and you watch it in two days. Yes, right. And that's it. And you've processed it, and it's done. You know, and yeah. that's that's a bummer that we we won't luxuriate in TV shows much anymore. So there is a really interesting question here, though, that comes from Alex Lauren, who asks, "What show from the past?" would have most benefited from the air of airing in today's Twitter and recap sort of culture discourse and which would suffer the most. So I guess the idea being, was there a show that seemed incredibly primed to have this kind of scholarship around it, have this kind of like joke culture around it and also have like people talking about it from a week to week basis. And are there any ones that would have like really like not been able to withstand it? I wonder, I wonder, I'm sure I'm trying to think I'm sure There are shows that failed that would have succeeded had their fan base been allowed to congregate on the internet and bolster support. I'm just trying to think of what the—you know what? I I don't think it would have helped it, but I would have loved had there been able to have been— uh, a dialogue around the original Twin Peaks. Yeah. Because when I watched the pilot episode of Twin Peaks air on TV, on ABC, when it aired— Yeah. Because I loved David Lynch. Because, um, you know, I was a nerdy high school kid who, yeah. like, watched, you know, Did indie you movies. Head or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Blue Velvet, I think, all had all come up by that point. And I was like, David Lynch made a TV show? And I watched it, and it was like a bomb had gone off. Oh, yeah. I was— I I, ta- I taped it. I immediately made my dad come in and I watched it with him uh, fully again. I was like, this is a thing. This is exciting. Yeah. Um, I would have loved as a kid of whatever I was, 14 or 15 at the time, I would have loved to have been able to then open up my computer and just dive into other people talking about this. Yeah. Though, if you think people didn't like season eight of Game of Thrones— Oh, S- season two of Twin Peaks would have had some takes. Tough. <laughs> yeah. Tough look. Yeah. I would say X-Files, even though yeah. there's obviously like a huge Reddit, like fan community around X-Files. I almost wonder whether X-Files done on a budget closer to Thrones or yeah. at least a budget that kind of like they kept in mind, hey, we don't have to make this a week to week procedural. This can be like a grand conspiracy about these two agents who are yeah. wrapped up in. But it was still so much case of the week. There was so much case of and the I week stuff. I love those case of the oh, weeks. You know? I love that's the that's stuff that I miss yeah. on TV. I miss uh, there is so much deep, wonderful narrative storytelling going on, and it really is like the transformation that TV has gone through in the last ten years yeah. is unreal. But I do miss transactionally those kind of. Uh, procedural shows that were good. Like yeah. NYPD Blue 
I love. Yeah, I mean, with that, that, that <laughs> feeling of a bomb going off, I had that when Homicide came on. Yeah, great show. I, I, and that you have to understand, like, when that, that came on after a Super Bowl, yep. so most of America saw it, and I think I had seen, like, less than triple digits amount of things in my life at yeah. that time. So you weren't really like, I'm so over it. I know all this. And then all of a sudden, Barry Levinson is doing a handheld, gritty, yeah. verite drama with Andre Brower. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was just like, it was kind of like, you're like, I don't even have the vocabulary to talk about. It this. was, it, that was a great, that was another show that I remember being like, this looks like what we all know TV looks like, but is very different. Yeah. And that was, that's the, those are the, these are the first few shows that are making drastic changes, yeah. you know, um, that are doing so at a time where they are, you know, really the, the, the first scouts for what is what we now recognize as television. Sure. Homicide, NYPD Blue, um, uh, West Wing. Gilmore Girls, yeah. I'll put in there. And then Sopranos, really, I think, is Sopranos and uh, Six Feet Under. And, of course, Arliss. Um, Arliss <laughs> coming in hot. Dream on. Robert Wall, dream on. Ben Ben. Just uh, <laughs> ben Ben just coming in on fire. <laughs> Malik. Ben I love ben. Wendy Malik. Mal Wendy Ma I remember thinking Wendy Malik was the funniest fucking person. Yeah. Um, Jamie Castillo asks, what's the best show you've watched that you have not talked about on the pod over the last couple of months because of Game of Thrones? Now, we mentioned Barry a bit. We talked about Veep a lot. Veep I'm, was I'm writing real hard for my favorite... One of my favorite shows of this year is Tim Robinson's yeah. I Think You Should Leave on Netflix. I think it is... Talk about feeling like a bomb's going on. Holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I think it is so fucking consistently funny. It is... It's, it is a triumph of establishing a tone and following through on it over and over again, and it only gets funnier. It's and it has great. that Brave New World feeling of, like, this can be 17 minutes. Yeah. I can watch four of them. I, I can watch it. one sketch and go. Yeah. That's My only thing is I wish now, or I hope at a certain point, they release it as just individual sketches. Because yeah. I want to be able to send individual sketches to people because I think that would be the right gateway sketch for them to get into the show. Yeah. And right now, they're only offering a couple of sketches like that, like which are Sunday great. Like the Sunday Funday one. Yeah, and the Will Forte airplane one. Yeah. Uh, and they're great sketches. But I want to be able to send somebody the... Sun Records. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> their bones are their money. Their money is their bones. Uh, um, <laughs> it is the show. I'm telling you, turn this podcast off immediately and watch all of I Think You Should Leave. It's quite a palate cleanser for Game of Thrones. It is really great. Um, I'm trying to think what else. So the other the ones that I mentioned this show, but we haven't really talked about it much is I am in love with what we do in the shadows. Yes. Which is one of those things where when you hear about it, you're like, I don't know if you guys needed to make a TV show out of that movie, which was super enjoyable. And then you realize, oh, like, if you just do this right, this is just like an endlessly satisfying, hilarious show. And, you know, they had a very sort of noteworthy episode a couple weeks ago where they, I, I, I won't spoil it for you if you... I haven't seen, I've yeah. only seen the first two. Yeah, and it just gets really great. Kroll shows yeah. up on it, yeah. and I just find it to be really, really, really funny. And then the thing that I've been watching a lot as an actual palate cleanser for Thrones and is it's right between like turn your brain off and also like I can't figure out why this works so well but I'm obsessed with it is The Society. I don't so, even know what this is. It's a show on Netflix. Okay. The premise is group of like high school seniors are on their like senior field trip. Uh, the buses come back from the field trip and drop them off. They're in a small town and they drop them off in this small town. 
the buses drive away, and they quickly realize all the adults are gone. Like, everybody oh, in the town is gone except yeah, yeah, for yeah. them. And the town is walled off by a forest now. That And they can't, like, they yeah. can't get out. Nobody gets in. And basically, every, everything from hmm. there is... Not only do we have to set up government and a police force and yeah, figure yeah, out yeah. medical care and food, but also let's fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and party. Who's wait, Is this a British show? No, it's an American show. It's like a couple of people from Blockers are in it. A couple of like oh, Pamela Adlin's daughter is in it. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, huh. But then it's just like, it's just one of those things where as soon as you watch two, you're like, well. That's cool. Yeah. And Ooh, it actually like has that. some mild Game of Thrones stuff in terms of how surprising it is. Okay. So it's trashy, but it's really, really, really fun. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm into that. Did you watch Barry this year? I have not watched Barry. I've not watched Veep. I'm like, I'm out on so much right now. I have so much to catch up on, but I've watched all of Tim Robinson's show twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched Anthony Jeselnik's new comedy special, uh, Fire in the Maternity yeah. Ward, which is so fucking funny and so good. That I also can't recommend enough. Um, Do you watch this stuff like more like, I'm watching it out of professional curiosity or out of like, this is actually what makes me happy to watch like stand-up or sketch. Some of both. Stand-up and sketch, I bo- some of it I watch because I have to, mm-hmm. because I, wa- I have to have, as like somebody who's works in comedy, I want to know what my what pe- what my peers are doing, what people, you know, I may not know. I, I still want to be discovering new people or any of that yeah. kind of stuff. So some of it is just like checking out what's going on. Yeah. But then there are certain people that like, I think Anthony Jeselnik is just bar none, one of the best working right. joke writing standups in, in the game. Yeah. So I'll watch, I will make a point to watch any of his stuff immediately upon its release because I just think he's great. Have you found yourself kind of like, intimidated to get started with like a hour-long drama recently yes because i think that sometimes that killing is, eve is that show yeah that's the that's the knock-on effect from something like yeah. Friends is when your brain is like 80 percent thinking about like torment yeah you're and gonna, i know that there are a couple of shows that i'm gonna be super obsessed with yeah. that i'm gonna be like excited to get into and i just don't feel like i have the bandwidth right now because not only am i anticipating and thinking about every episode of Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. I am listening to every episode (laughs) of The Watch talking about Game of Thrones, Talk the Thrones talking about Game of Thrones, Binge Mode talking about Game of Thrones, a couple of other podcasts talking about Game of Thrones. You're reading Joanna Robinson. I'm reading some of it. Yeah, I'm reading Joanna Robinson. I listen to one of her podcasts as well, the one she does with Dave Chen. Uh, I listen to—so I'm just— I'm I'm so I'm I am like at as I'm sure you are twice as much I'm like at the end of my capacity for thrones yeah um so I'm excited now to like give it to something this is else it. like I I don't think I'll talk about thrones for a long time until there's like news about I, it I don't I can't exactly from now on it will just be in, like interesting news coming out about the prequels or the sequels or whatever yeah but I won't I don't think I will at all engage in this level of discourse with people about it. You know, like have you checked Reddit since? No, 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 yeah. no. And and I and I don't. And I'm not a big Reddit person anyway. But I would. I used to check Reddit Let when me active. For you. Those guys aren't taking it well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When active like things were when active theories were afoot. Yeah. You know, like because I didn't again like I didn't know about R plus L equals J. I right. didn't know about all that stuff, and so. To read stuff like that was made me enjoy the show more. 
So no, I'm excited. I oh, I'm excited for the thing. The, I got to watch Killing Eve. I'm beyond excited for Fleabag season two, which I'm like as a full on obsessive for season one. I and everybody's saying this, this is, is even better. Even yeah. better. So yeah. I'm very excited for that. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've been watching. Well, even beyond what you're Yellowstone watching. Yellowstone season two. Yellowstone. Oh, here's what it is. It's all about Deadwood the movie. Oh, fuck that's yeah. all I'm here to talk Dude. about is Deadwood the Let's movie. Let's talk about it. I cannot wait for this. I'm so, rewatching all of Deadwood. That's what I am doing right now. The thing is that we I'm don't talk about enough Deadwood. is that Deadwood's the best show ever made. Best, best show. <laughs> I'm rewatch. I'm just about to finish season one again, and I'm not kidding. It's exceptional television. I, that's that's probably the best. I put that up against Wire season three is like the best season. It's of unreal. Ever made. It is so good. Every every piece, every supporting player, everybody is yeah. so well Did drawn. you read the Olafan interview in Rolling Stone? No. Where he's just like, I didn't know that like they were getting pages day of. Oh, of not like, just pages, like monologues yeah. day of. Huge monologues. Milch would rewrite the day of. Yeah. Uh, in some sort of, you know, drug-induced fever dream. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, like, I lost $80,000 on the Preakness. So like, literally. <laughs> you know speech. what I mean? Like, yeah. crazy. Like, yeah. betting crazily on, uh, on on games and horse racing and losing all of his money, yeah. making all of the money. I mean, like, like we talked about uh, Milch on this podcast before, but like the idea that Milch's career begins by submitting a spec script for Hill Street Blues, which gets made yes. into an episode, which wins an Emmy. <laughs> he goes from unemployed writer to Emmy-winning uh, writer with the same script. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's unheard of. It's unheard. Like, it, Milch is like an unparalleled TV writer, I yeah. think. I just, he is very exciting to me, and it's heartbreaking to hear that he has Alzheimer's now yeah. and is really suffering, uh, suffering from it. That is that that is just it makes that the, breaks the my movie heart. even more poignant. Oh, in I'm some ways. so yeah. glad. I'm yeah. so glad that he was able to. I hope. I mean, I don't know. I'm selfishly. I want it for me, but I hope for him. This kind of puts this thing to bed because I know that he felt like he said before that he didn't get to finish his story. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, speaking of Deadwood. Brandon McShane wanted to know which HBO trailer promoted during the Game of Thrones final season are you most hyped for? Which show are you most hyped for to come back, aside from Deadwood, I guess? Deadwood, number one. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty—I'm genuinely curious about Euphoria. Yeah. It looks gorgeous. I think Zendaya is like a, I'm. I find her very interesting and compelling yeah. in the things I've seen her in. So I'm. I'm curious what that's like. I'm um, just trying to get myself in peak condition for Succession, Righteous Gemstones. Yeah, that's right. Oh, Righteous Gemstones. <laughs> I mean, I, I you know because I think those guys are the most interesting people. I think working in comedy. Yeah. Uh, in TV comedy right now, uh, I think Danny and uh, Jody and like all David Gordon Green, the guys that make all those vice principals and Eastbound, like those are, I think those have been some of my favorite comedies. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what that is. And then they've got John Goodman in the mix. Come on. You tell me there's a Danny McBride, John Goodman show. That's everything. Uh, are you looking forward to succession season two? Yeah, yeah. I am. Although, you know, I'm like, I should be looking forward to it more. Yeah. You know, I, again, I think this is. I got Thrones has to get out of the way. Yeah. Once Thrones get out, gets out of the way, I'm going to be more excited about. I just need a to take a long things. jog. What are you feeling? What are you feeling about Watchmen? I'm so curious. Yeah. Because I'm diehard Watchmen comic book fan yeah. or a graphic novel fan. Love uh, the movie. Uh, you know, a in some ways because a, a very faithful adaptation but it turns out to be kind of lifeless. Yeah. But um, I'm curious. I like 
I like the way it looks. Mm-hmm. I love the cast. Yeah. You know, I think they cast great people. So I don't know. I'm willing to give it a—I'm I'm certainly willing to give it a shot, and I actually have high hopes for it. I think Damon Lindelof is doing—is playing with interesting ideas and interesting concepts and is always— uh, his sandbox is always someplace that I'm interested to be. So I'm, I'm curious. For it just because, like, I think— by all accounts, what happens a lot with these, like, I want to take this property, and then there's, like, this initial, like, but what if I could just, like, play in the sandbox, or what if I could put my spin on it? And Damon's been so articulate about, I want to remix this. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm yeah. using some of the same notes, but I'm playing a different song, all that stuff. Well, what's interesting now, I think, is we are starting to, and this gets back to a question that came earlier, like, we are now starting to, we've been consumed with remake culture, reboot culture, prequel culture, like everything has to relate. Everything has to be a redo of a thing we already know, or it has to have like a title awareness for an audience. Yes. Right. Um, And so far in the way that that's been executed is to somehow try and recreate the thing that came before. Right. Like Magnum PI Mm -hmm. now is Magnum PI then blah, blah, blah. And I think what we're seeing now is if, if we are having a fatigue, it is almost in this way in that I think now people are taking these properties and not feeling beholden to being faithful to them, but taking them as kind of jumping off points, inspiration to tell other stories, but that they can still have that name. They still get to call it the Watchmen. Well, that's kind of And that's wild, you know? I mean, that's sort of, you were talking about Star Wars earlier and your kind of like, your weakness for just like the font in your in. Oh my God. But, you know, I feel like we kind of had these three movies, these three Kylo Ray movies. And, you know, even I love the Ryan Johnson one. Love, um, but I still think that there's an. It's arguable. I think that, it's unquestionably beloved. Right? Is the internet uh, not like the Ryan Johnson movie? <laughs> Again, I'm not on there Reddit no very much. There are no petitions whatsoever to have it no? remade immediately. You, you um, know that. You know what I'm petitioning for? <laughs> Zack Snyder's cut of the Last Jedi <laughs> and Ryan Johnson's cut of that? Justice League. <laughs> Ryan Johnson's cut of Justice League would rule. Um, <laughs> but in a lot of ways, these three Star Wars movies were. Essentially, more about saying goodbye to the original Star yes. Wars movies than they were about like, what if there was this totally new story that wasn't about a rebellion? And that's and an empire. why the Mandalorian is so interesting yes. to me. That's why I'm genuinely excited by the Mandalorian. And listen, what I am nervous about and scared of is that all of television and movies just is titles, yeah, and and shared universes, yeah. You know, uh, that makes me genuinely nervous. Like, I want there to be successions. I want there to be original ideas that are brought to life. I want there to be, even though I think it is so far ultimately unsuccessful. I want Westworld to, to yeah. I want HBO to be pouring money into making Westworld. Right? I want them. I mean, I know Westworld is not an original idea. I know yeah, but they got. They look like they actually cut bait and like put Aaron Paul in it, and you know? it looks very different. Yeah. You know, so I'm interested in what they're like. I want there to be things. I don't want everything to just be some. I don't want everything that gets money to just be some outgrowth of a comic book or a mm-hmm. series of whatever it is. Like I would love. More original stuff, more interesting. Barry, more, you know, like stuff that we find that yeah, we can get lost a- in that there isn't any kind of um, reference for. Sure. Or, you know, it's not a reimagining of or a reboot of or a prequel or a legacy prequel or any of this nonsense. Do they try that with comedy stuff? Like, are they like, hey, do you have any ideas about how to play around in the Stripes universe? Uh, no, but they, they, yeah, no and yes. Okay. Uh, the way it oftentimes works in comedy is, 
how can we do stripes now? Right. Right. It's not, we won't call it stripes. It's never about like, let's, unless like Ghostbusters did it, I guess. But it really is a lot of times we want to, we want a something like a, you know, Animal House. Sure. You know, a classic, but that only means a classic college comedy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That doesn't mean like, let's remake Animal House. Right. Very rarely in comedies. Is there an effort to reboot or remake? So you're saying I should table my my Porky's shared oh, universe script. Uh, dude, never <laughs> table Porky's 2020. <laughs> I have one last question for you. That uh, comes I can't from wait. Is it, are Adrian we already Charlie. done? Well, I mean, we can talk about whatever you want. All right, fine. But Adrian has a question that is very specifically tailored to your interests. All right, Yellowstone. Who is the better action star, Keanu Reeves or Tom Cruise? Oh, Keanu Reeves, uh, unquestionably. So give me, Keanu Reeves, give me a little Keanu. Leaps and bounds, Keanu Reeves. And that is no shade to Tom Cruise. Right. Tom Cruise is out there doing unbelievable stunt ankles. work. Yeah. You know, I mean, like that's the the breaking his ankle in that movie, the airplane, hanging off the airplane in the movie, in the Ghost Protocol is the airplane, right? I think um, we, even as a society, are at peace that we will probably see Tom Cruise die on screen. By the way, I think that's how he wants to go out. <laughs> I think he's actively trying to make that happen. Yeah. That's, I think, what he's doing. He's like, you, somebody's going to film my He's going to do the bio, like the biopic of the Red Bull guy who jumped out of the, 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 the satellite. Low, sat, yeah. low, low, low orbit. Yeah. And it's just the whole movie is just like, he's actually going to do this jump in and real he, time. And then he dies. Yeah. Um, it's the atmosphere and bounces right off. That would be really funny. Yeah. Keanu Reeves, star of John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, which I am, spoiler alert, also in, is so capable in myriad components of what makes a good action star. Yeah. So he, you know, um, he is a black belt in, I can't remember what. Like everything. Uh, Jiu-jitsu Let's just say maybe. I, he's a black belt in judo. Ah, I'm not remembering. He's a, he's, an, he's a black belt in a martial art. He has his own motorcycle company. He's for, you know, 25 odd years been like, Training and practicing with all these stunt guys yeah. uh, for the May first, the Matrix movies, and all this stuff, he is so like what's what, what I think makes the John Wick movies compelling is that it is uh, you are watching it, modern action is cross cut and uh, so much so that you can cover the fact that stuntmen and women are doing most of the stunt work, mm-hmm. most of the fighting, most of the uh, close combat stuff. All of that stuff is done by stunt performers, sure. amazing stunt performers. Um, but it means that the how you cut a movie starts to, when you get into a fight, the geography of who's where starts to get confusing. It starts to get messy, and you don't quite know. It's not clean feeling. Yeah. Keanu Reeves can do all of this stuff. So when you're watching Keanu Reeves fight four guys, you're in camera watching Keanu Reeves fight four guys. Yeah. Then he might get hit by a car. That's not him. <laughs> but when not. he gets up and fights three more guys, that's, that's him. him again. Right. So he's picking up one guy and throwing him over a bike. He's punching another guy. He's he's executing on a level that is he, like absolutely mesmerizing. The guy who gets hit by a car is Cruz. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's Keanu's stuntman. Well, that I would I would believe that, and I think I th- listen. I think Tom Cruise is amazing, yeah. and I think the you know what a 
a career resurgence in a way for him to like, I think for him to have basically been on the verge of being phased out of the Mission Impossible sure. movies in favor of your boy Renner. For the house flipper. Um, uh, yeah, he's just putting in marble countertops <laughs> and waiting to take over the just franchise. taking that wall down and let some light in, man. <laughs> Skylights, baby. <laughs> but um, for him to now be like, no, he's fucking in, in firmly yeah. ensconced in that franchise now uh, in one way, shape, or form. That's it. And they, it does feel like they're jamming those movies out just to get them done before, like, they're back to back. Social security comes, you know? I think they have to. I think, you know, at a certain point, what makes those movies work is how is the ratcheting up each movie of the stunts. Yeah. And I think for Tom Cruise, that's got to be scary at a certain point. And same for Keanu, I suspect. You know, these are guys who are in their mid 50s who are doing really difficult, yeah. uh, dang, actually very dangerous stunt work. And that's, you know, not nothing. Um, Jason, thank you so much for coming by. Buddy, thank you for having me. And what a delight. We'll have you on when Yellowstone S2 drops. Uh, no, I want to come in for the, oh no, Deadwood's pretty soon. Deadwood's in two weeks, but that's if you're around, weeks. man. I, I want to talk, I mean, we're going to need to talk about Deadwood, whether it's in, whether I'll it's save it for you. When it comes out or whether it's some other, I'll, whatever, whatever you guys want. Okay, Jason Mansukas, thank you so much for coming by. Go see John Wick 3 if you're one of like the five people in this country, including me who haven't seen it yet. And thank you so much for talking Game of Thrones, bro. Oh, yeah. 